0: Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian Literature for the Inebriated. I'm Matt Garasimovich, a PhD student in Russian Lit. And I'm Cameron Lalana. And this last week, Matt and I got to be in-person Tipsy Tolstoy boys as I went out to Chicago to visit Matt. And we had an excellent time just doing all kinds of debauchery and also uh, getting... we we So many things happened, I really can't even describe it, but I just want to bring to your attention... The fact that we just, we tried to order McDonald's at 1 a.m., and I don't know what happened. I still, it's not clear to me, but we ended up with, like, two full bags of just sauces and, and fries. I think we had 12 to 15 large fries, which we did not <laughs> order, and that was a lot to handle. Very drunk at 1 a.m., but, you know, interesting, cool experience. We managed. <laughs> we, we we overcame. <laughs> But yes, that was that was good. It was good to if you followed our Instagram story, you would have seen some of our debauchery.
1: You would have seen it. Yeah, you had to be there. You had to be there. <laughs> this is a podcast where me and my good pal Cameron remotely get to unwind from our week with some Russian literature and a drink or two. This week, we're going to be returning to our good old handy dandy socialist realism with part two of Fyodor Gladkov's novel Cement
0: if you want to say in what we're going to be reading next head on over to patreon.com slash tipsy tolstoy for as little as three dollars a month you can keep your favorite russian literature podcast running and join in on fun events like movie nights on discord smiley face no winky face excuse me that's a little addition from matt there you're welcome (laughs) thank you yeah if you're not interested in patreon but still want to help us out you can leave us a nice review on apple podcasts or sign up for our email list on our website Tipsytolstoy.com.
1: yeah this is a little embarrassing but I, I found out today that as i was going back through the website uh, when i was redoing the website i took the e- email list sign up form down and forgot to put it back up until i was going back through it so hey, if you've been wondering how can i get on this ultra exclusive email list well you better sign up now before i take it back off and forget to put it on again <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of sorry,
0: sorry to, sorry to clown on you. Speaking of organizational incompetence relevant to the reading, uh, Matt, what are you drinking today?
1: Uh, I'm drinking a sparkling water and vodka because I'm trying to keep it light mm. oh, okay. comparatively to all of all of the beer that is still trying to exit my system from our weekend.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's that's very valid. Yeah. What about you? I should be doing the same, but. I'm, I'm very excited to announce this. I went to go get a craft beer today at my local Total Wine and found something which I have not seen in the US ever, actually. I have in front of me a Baltica 9. Oh my god, you got one? I, yeah, I found... I, uh, there were only eight in the store. I bought all of them. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know baltica is a a line of beers put out by uh, i forget the the manufacturer it's like the biggest importer of beers in in russia their manufacturing um, facility is in st petersburg and their kind of flagship line is baltica which is like zero through nine each number is a different type of beer baltica nines are just a lager but they've got extra alcohol added (laughs) <laughs> um and it's just it was the number one beer that Matt and I bought stumbling uh, stumbling home drunk late at night in Russia so many many good well I'd say many memories but actually this usually accompanied a lack of memory so <laughs> many good times
1: many things that probably happened
0: yeah yeah but so excited about this but anyway I'm jealous <laughs> I'll send you one
1: heck yeah all right so cement you said you liked part 2 better than part 1 how come
0: yes I it was and I don't know how many people this is going to reach or how many people are going to are going to feel this but part two like we said before in our heart of heart of a dog episode that book at least in our interpretation was a sort of forum with the public with people at the time this is kind of the same thing but it's not really an attempt to engage with the public it's an inner life of thought of politics within the at this time it's the Bolshevik party but still contains elements of uh, like some uh, social revolutionaries or SRAs, although they're not really mentioned in this book, but most importantly, Mensheviks, uh, of whom Leon Trotsky was an actual member, which is important for some of the reasons why there are alterations made to this book. Anyway, the latter half of this book is just like a lot of those differing political ideologies, and not even ideologies, just approaches to this new reality, which are very much in dialogue, and Gladkov kind of has some interesting things to say about it. Almost, it's a little grim, some of his proclamations, but... Uh, I think it's fascinating. I think this book, I'm fully on board with you, Matt, now that I've read the whole thing. I I think it really has gotten a bad rap. This is perhaps not the most artistically talented book, but it is really fascinating.
1: Yeah. Well, I I feel like personally, I was not expecting a a polished piece of prose from Gladkov. Like he didn't come from a, you know, like a, a literature background. And he wrote this when he was still pretty young. So I think some of the, the the prose is forgivable, if if not kind of touching. There are some of my favorite lines of literature ever written in this book, which I can touch on a little later. Uh, but yeah, the, the second read through, I was struck at how uh, specific it was at parts with some of the politics and whatnot of the time. I was like, huh, this is probably why more than anything, people don't read this because people just don't really care to understand <laughs> what this small period of time was like in Russia. Besides us,
0: <laughs> besides us, it's really just us and uh, overachieving undergrads, yeah. yeah, or underachieving grad students.
1: Um, you hey. hey, watch yourself there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is really interesting. So let's cover what happens in the second half of the book, and it's a lot. So I'm going to be covering it very much, uh, v- very much in brief. I do want to say before we get into it, uh, there is going to be mention of sexual assault later in this. Uh, so if that's not, not something you want to hear, I'm going to put in the show notes the timings of when you can jump around to avoid that. I don't know what's going to happen yet, but uh, just take a look at that. We'll, we'll drop them right in there. Last time we left off, we have just had a battle with some unknown forces at the side of, of the factory. And although some members of the workers have been killed, for the most part, it's, it's a daring victory. This is kind of the height of the book emotionally for most of these characters. And it all gets worse from here in, in typical Russian fashion. Following this event, uh, Gleb and Dasha are walking home, and Mikhova decides to join them, and it's very obvious that she is, like, really infatuated with Gleb. She's, like, just holding onto his arm, and they're chatting, and even even Gleb seems to notice that Dasha is noticing. Um, The only really important part about this is that along the way, Mikhova begins to express his express some doubts about the new economic policy or the nep which i believe we talked about in more depth in our alexandra Thai episode but if you don't remember briefly it was the the kind of reintegration of markets in a limited form of um like old-fashioned old-fashioned in quotes capitalism into the new bolshevik context i say old-fashioned because the, the major uh, addition that lenin has to marxist leninism is the new formulation of capitalism as not just a, a like physical capital owning land and stuff, but also the capitalization of our reality, which is like the best example would be the stock market, is a modern form of, of capitalism, which which Lenin writes on, and, and that's, what, that's what makes Marxist Leninism different from Marxism. That's what I mean by that. So she expresses some, she's not really happy with the NEP, and Gleb and Dasha are kind of like, uh, you know, it's fine. Well, this is just... Part of the state part of the stages of coming to a socialist society. Makova leaves, and uh, Gleb and Dasha go out to the sea. And Dasha finally reveals what happened, and-, and really why she is so different from the person that Gleb left behind. We mentioned in the last episode that the machinist uh, Kleist basically got Gleb killed, but he managed to escape by getting out of the cellar. So when when Gleb escaped from those white officers, he was able to go back home rest for a little bit and then he runs off into the night to go join the greens like i mentioned last time the greens are a non non non-white non-red force in the civil war who kind of change sides different green forces at different alignments whatever these are What so-called red greens and uh, Dasha begins to help these red greens as they kind of come along, providing them with supplies, cooking for them. uh, For some soldiers, that she puts them up for the night, and this is uh, important for her character development. Uh, She she sleeps with some of them. Eventually, the white forces realize what's going on to a limited degree, and they bring in her, another green soldier from the woods, as well as another green widow, uh, Fimka, along with her brother Petra, who is also a green, and they are tortured quite extensively this is actually kind of a i, I don't usually think of his Gladkov as that good of a writer but this is actually a surprisingly hard to read torture i mean like torture scenes in general are hard to read but this one kind of rings true in a certain way that other times other times i've read torture it is not and they are all taken out to be shot uh, by the coast but dasha in, is saved at the last moment by by kleist who's taken responsibility for her uh, shortly after that um dasha Gives up Nurka to their to their neighbors Savchuk and Motya, and and begins to dedicate herself entirely to the cause, having been through this really traumatic experience and also almost being executed. And also, the executions themselves are also hard to read. I mean, the, the Gladkov spares you nothing, and in, in the begging for for life and oh, oh boy,
1: yeah, there's some really graphic detail in the second part, especially.
0: Yeah, yeah, that 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 actually is some some excellent writing there. I'll give them that. So we jump back into the modern era, and now um the the communist forces, not the, the party itself, but Sergei along with Gleb and some other of the named characters are now putting the bourgeoisie out of their out of their houses. They're still there's still bourgeois elements existing in this society. At this time they're kind of going through their house and saying, These things can be used for X, Y, and Z. We're gonna be expropriating them. They get all the the bourgeois and put them into a sort of group in order to be marched off to somewhere. It's not really made clear. The important thing here is that Sergey's father is among these, or Sergey's family, um, his mother is dead at this point, is among these, uh, being an old kind of intellectual. And Sergey, with Gleb's recommendation, does not continue on to his father's house to put him out of house and home. That's uh, too difficult for him to do. And he, he just kind of leaves although uh, his father's librarian comes and gets on his case a little bit about it he just gets gets on his case about his, his father being put out of house and home um and then the crowd is is let out and while they're being gathered the whites attack and now now we go into a period of kind of guerrilla combat where everyone's on guard uh we, we're spending most of the time with sergey and Gleb, kind of talking at night as they talk about what they need um Again, Makova comes back again to, to to harp on the the NEP. And The important thing here is that uh, Sergey and, and Gleb stalk an enemy soldier and capture him through the night during a during an ambush. And it turns out that it's Sergey's brother, Dmitri. Dmitry is formerly a, a member of the Red Army, and and Dmitri at this point is, seems quite thoroughly disenchanted with the the Red, with the the Bolshevik Party, and ends up taunting Sergey. And and he knows that it's his death. and Keeps asking Sergey if Sergey will be there when they execute him, and doesn't it won't will this be quite romantic? Um, and Sergey is already having lost his father in a sense that day, and his mother's dead, and the librarian kind of friend he has is also turned away from him. He feels, I think this is when his father uh, is turned out. But in this moment, the way he's like just detaching, it's it's very apparent that that Sergey is his his connections to his old life are, are like snapping, like piano wire. Uh, it, it is. He is fully dissociating <laughs> from a lot of things. After things slow down a little bit, the the town's returning to normal economic activity, and in fact, it's more than normal because now their uh, shops are beginning to open up, shops, cooperatives, cafes, food is being brought in, normal normal things are being sold. And here Gleb is walking through town when he sees Makhova just kind of staring into a window, and he stops and says, "What's what's going on? Are you okay?" And she's staring at all the goods and says she's troubled by the new economic policy. After all the things they've suffered and and all the, all the blood they've wasted, how could they go back to the exact same system they had before? What was the point of it all, really? Glyb is is kind of, like, on her side a little bit, and she says to him, I'm kind of sick. Can you walk me back to my room? I don't want to go to work today. And he, he brings back, and she's still complaining with the NEP, and as they go in the room, she asks him to hug her, and he does, and he seems to be very on her side until there's a knock at the door and dasha comes in staring down at the two with vague hurt in her eyes although Makova kind of quickly gets up and says oh you know Gleb is, is is a good man he was helping me out i was i was quite feeling under the weather and and, and glub quickly makes his exit as dasha begins to Mikho- talk to mikova about an economic report they need to give
1: and then there's a record scratch and the studio audience is like really anxious you know it's really good <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can you imagine this this book as, as like a um a sitcom? That would be the worst sitcom.
1: It would be, but it could also be the basis of like a really good irreverent sitcom. I'm not sure exactly what that word means, but Netflix keeps telling me I like those kind of shows, so I guess that's good.
0: <laughs> I feel like it would be it would be a sitcom if Albert Camus had unlimited <laughs> creative control over a sitcom. <laughs> um
1: It would be a sitcom only if you could take perhaps all nuance of political discussion out of it because the american (laughs) public does not care
0: (laughs) the american public especially does not care about the
1: politics that were really only applicable for like a three to four year period in the early soviet union you can really only keep their attention if like every couple minutes somebody comes out and yells stalin and then goes back about it
0: (laughs) i feel like that would also that would if we we're if the, in this kind of existential sitcom, if nothing else related to Stalin but every once in a while someone just come out to yell at <laughs> as some sort of meta commentary on the way that Russian culture in the American context is inexorably linked to Stalin, regardless of whether or not that's actually <laughs> I think I think we're kind of some we'll come back to that. We'll we'll pitch some ideas in Patreon, see what they think. We'll kick it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soon after that, an English steamer steamer comes to the port. Uh, On on board, there are a number of soldiers and and officers. These are all members of the White Army who have been basically trying to run, but no port anywhere has accepted them because they've all been captured by the Bolsheviks. So they they, they land and say, whatever you want to do to us, it's fine. We we accept our fate. They are all obviously half dead. And, And the only important thing here is that there's just a lot of back and forth. Gleb meets some Cossacks. Uh, who uh, are, are rebelled against the White Army and are now w- wanting to to fight for them? And and Gleb is telling them you know, your fight before was was on the battlefield, but now it's in the factory. The real fight, the exciting one. You see, Sergey meets a woman on board who he vaguely recognizes. It's never really elaborated on. Who kind of expresses a fear of communists, but says like, well, what can you help me understand? And he kind of turns from her and says, I I can't help you understand. Only the love of working can help you understand furthering his kind of evolution from a more personable kind of guy who is a man he's a menshevik it's not it's not stated until later in 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 the book but the mensheviks are traditionally a bit more associated with the intellectual wing of the party a bit further removed from the working class of the party like glib and Dasha are he after losing all connections is is cold to her and says you know only only work can teach you to love uh the communist party
1: he'd just be the worst person to get advice from (laughs) <laughs> just the worst <laughs> yeah yeah i like so i think i think
0: sergey in some ways is the main character of this book but man you should yeah. not take to yeah. not take advice from sergey
1: no no
0: <laughs> after that we kind of jump out of uh, the main characters we have been following here and follow an a kind of unknown soldier uh, uh god i can't even says she's georgian um we're we we
1: <laughs> My head does the same thing every time I try and pronounce it too. It's difficult.
0: How, how would you would you say it? I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so we, we follow some daily life in the in the kind of cafeteria as people are eating and the many the many people in there. And really importantly, we have to we're, we're watching Badin Shram uh, Shram again is the kind, that kind of egghead who is part of many departments but none of the departments that actually do anything. So he's not technically responsible for anything uh Suskin the a doctor and he heads up public health and uh Hapka, who is the commissar of the local food department and after they eat they go into their into a private room and, and and it's heavily implied that they they drink and eat sausage and have access to all these things that no one else does until late into the night which Sklazza considers kind of shameful and ends up kind of yelling at them about but they push him away not quite not quite ejecting him from the party but telling him you know go home just forget about this really you, you know, you're a good soldier skadza uh but so we're gonna kind of overlook this at the same time dasha is is dasha is, is visiting the children's home occasionally and inurka is is withering away their, their daughter um and and she is she's got some kind of disease the doctors don't know what it is and really nothing can be done for her for the first time this book we really see dasha crack after leaving the children's home one night knowing essentially that her daughter is going to die and she can't do anything about it. This is kind of the first time that's made real for her. So she kind of throws herself on the ground and cries. Makova, at the same time, is increasingly uh, dispossessed of of her former ideas. Uh, Many victims of the famine in the Volga region are showing up in town. They're begging for food. And there's not that much uh, to give from the common stores. However, because of the NAP, there's now food stores, which are not part of the kind of the communal space there there are stores cafe well-dressed people who do have access to food which is not part of the communal supply and therefore cannot be freely given to these starving people and makova is, is just she doesn't know what what to do like wh- why would this revolution happen and when she's thinking about it in her room uh badin kind of bursts in and, and earlier when in mean, makova and are talking she kind of alludes to that that she feels that this is kind of inevitable but is not 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 a good guy uh, he already tried to sexually assault dasha previously and now in this time he he does he assaults he sexually assaults Makova on uh, in her room and following this an- another very difficult scene to read which is it's not super drawn out but it's it's very it's very indirectly addressed but difficult section she goes to sergey who lives right across the way in her apartment even though he's become so disconnected from people around here he forms an emotional attachment and, and begins to care for her after these events. Going back to technically our main character, Gleb, uh, he walks into the factory and finds that it's not working at the order of some counselor or other, it doesn't matter which one, uh, and he threatens to, to shoot the lot of the administration for obeying those kind of orders, and is going off to yell at, at whatever committees he can find who might even vaguely be related to this, because it's really not clear who does what. But he's stopped by Dasha, who informs him that Nurka is dead, and he notes that it feels like there's some kind of connection between the two of them that's now been severed forever because of that so now we're coming to the end of the book and we're coming to kind of a weird moment because the the a purge is approaching they're going to be uh, uh some bolsheviks coming by and basically looking over everyone's case and figuring out who should no longer be a member of the party and, and no one feels good about this everyone has been doing <laughs> there's been so much conflict and in many ways what makes someone a good member of the party is less your ideological rigor or your character rather than how useful have you been to the extent administration? So uh, the, the usual characters have been quite, um, quite worried. And there's a long kind of trial scene. A lot happens to sum it all up. Sergey is ejected for reasons that they will not disclose to him. Uh, they tell him when you get the report, it, you'll finally find out. As a side note, he never actually does get that report uh dasha has to get it for him he's kicked out solely because he's a menshevik juk uh, i don't think we mentioned a whole lot he's he's a worker who's quite good at what he does but he's a troublemaker so he is kicked out uh Mikhova is is kicked out of the party because of her statements about the nep even though at, at her trial she gives an impassioned speech against this this sort of corruption of the party and everyone in the crowd agrees with her They says yeah Makhova's right this, what did we fight for if we're just going to return to our former set up relations? Uh, the, the, the Bolshevik said, well, the thing is that we've not advanced to full communism yet. Yes, you are correct. Uh, Bekova, but you're naive. This is not the stage of history we're in yet. So we have to do what we have to do to survive. And we don't need we don't need idealists in our party, even if you're technically more ideologically pure than we are. And and she's kicked out.
1: Even if you're technically right, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So everyone who's been kicked out just feels dead, uh, politically dead. There's nothing they can do. And Sergey retires back to his apartment, and he does he does hear Mehova and he wants to go to her, um, but he he. They've developed an emotional connection, but there's just something between them that that keeps them separated. I think this is a line. Sergey reads uh, Lenin's materialism and imperial criticism, and one thing that stands out is the line: "Everything lies in methods and not words. Dialectics are energy." So that's that's important for understanding some of these things in the book. Following that, work continues as normal, even though these these people have been kicked out of the party. They're still there. We're not at the stage yet where people are being kicked out of the party and executed this is just you're out of the party you like nothing really changes for you i mean you might become kind of a social pariah to a certain extent but most of the people who've been kicked out are actually quite popular and supported by the others uh so they go back to work and they they work on their appeals and they're on the others dasha Gleb, help trying to get back into the party and work on their appeals but you know everything stays the same technically work at the factory is going well Kleist is like now fully coming around to who is the the man who used to be the engineer who lorded over everyone else is, is fully committed to the cause. And Gleb looks at Kleist and, and where once he saw a, you know someone who's oppressing him as a working class member, Gleb now sees a friend in Kleist, and that's an interesting thing who who becomes who ends the book kind of on a winning note. Uh, Mikhova, the perhaps most ideologically pure communist in the book, is now listless she doesn't know what to do she's eventually sent to a sanitarium and and before that dasha leaves gleb essentially to go go help Mechova. she's not an outcast she's just out of the party and and she's kind of falling apart and that's an interesting scene because gleb kind of knows in this moment that as she leaves this is it doesn't matter if she comes back or not and he, he doesn't think he's gonna she's gonna come back but even if she does come back this is kind of a final goodbye, in a way. This is the, the the ultimate goodbye to any understanding of their old relationship, and we'll get into that later because I think it's really interesting. Um, and, and she takes off and, and takes care of Makova until Makova is sent to a sanitarium. Shram, the the that kind of egghead, he's he's actually sent to he actually is sent to Siberia, and then Badin becomes the leader, the chairman of the local council. No, sorry, not Shram, Shram is not sent to Siberia. Shram is arrested, but Shabis we may have mentioned he's the head of the local Cheka. he's sent to siberia which is interesting uh the two of the three two of the three real like careerists the those high up in the actual mechanics are are, are purged and the, the last one who survives is promoted funny things of the soviet system um <laughs> and and um gleb and badin do not end the book on a good note they are they're clashing they're not having a good time because gleb badin uh, dasha uh, they're kind of the, some of the biggest now movers and shakers they're often working together and Gleb and Badin are always on each other's like trying to stand on each other's toes uh, Dasha basically is the one who has to has to de-escalate things and uh, defends Badin as as a good worker so she Gleb d- understands why Badin is there but he doesn't like it Dasha doesn't like Badin but she understands why he's there and she'll go to bat for Badin even though he is unambiguously a terrible person he's also a very useful person and he is rewarded for that off to the side sergey walking along sees a dead uh dead baby with a red handkerchief on its head we'll come back to that a lot of things we'll come back to <laughs> uh, and then finally we end on on thousands of people maybe the whole of this town uh turning out to see engineer kleist receive an award uh gleb kind of dissociates as he's b- before he's gonna give a speech and remembers the last time he saw Mikhova before he went she went off to the sanitarium and he and Dasha, he's kind of pushed away, and he now feels from these two women, Dasha and Mikhova, who he once was so close and had maybe the closest ties to, just an absolute dearth of of understanding. And he leaves, and he's shaken. He's shaken back to to the present, and he gives a final victory or a final victory speech, as if he's in a dream. Uh, declaring onward to victory, comrades! And although he's like borderline dissociating, the whole crowd ends in cheering. Ah!
1: Um,
0: and it's a happy ending? Question mark. It's a weird. It's it's a weird one. It's fascinating to me.
1: Wasn't the ending that you thought it was going to take? I bet.
0: Well, I mean, the very like the last pages. Yeah, that's what I expected. But that's kind of a, a turnabout face. And even then, it's it's described as as if in a dream. So this, you know, Gleb is still clearly pretty out of it remembering things that he does not understand and he still feels terrible about which is fascinating
1: well i'm glad that i've i've taken you over to my side the (laughs) cementy side
0: (laughs) it's it's you and me on the cement is good uh committee (laughs) it it. it has to be a committee
1: (laughs) it has to be a committee
0: so as as the the leader and founder of the the cement is good committee Mm -hmm. uh what What strikes you about the second half of the book? What stands out to you about this stuff?
1: Well, uh, biggest thing from the second half, uh, a recurring segment I'd like to start is where I pick my favorite bad line of the book, and so I'd like to start our discussion off with this beautiful piece of ornamental prose from page 154 on our copy, if you're reading along. Above the distant ranges, the sun was like blood, and the big-toothed black mountains nodded. As that a fiery pancake? <laughs> I don't know why that one got me, but I, I loved it. There was, I think, several pancake references. Uh, I have nothing to add other than I like that. That's fair. That's that's valid. That's what struck me about the second half. Thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I actually, okay, so I, let's break in. I, I don't know if there's anything you specifically wanted to address, but I wanted to kind of get the... Address the elephant in the room first before we kind of discussed more broadly what interested us,
1: which elephant? there's like three. It's like this there's like a horde of elephants.
0: <laughs> it's just a whole whatever a group of elephants is called. Uh, the one that says that to me is Gleb because Gleb is in every way, you see, he's the prototypical Soviet socialist hero. He is at least in the first half of the book. He's, he was a, a hero of the Red Army he comes back and all he wants to do is start up a factory again and, and frankly to the extent that it's almost neurotic uh everyone else around him is even like the eggheads are like why do we we don't need more with like the council of cement isn't asking for more cement and yeah of course we can't trust the council they we see they operate but I don't know if they're just like saying we don't need more cement that there might be a point that maybe they don't need you don't need to start a cement factory Could you
1: imagine being the other person at the office like who is this guy with the cement <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but it, it, even late in the book I think when this is when the whites are attacking he even thinks do we need this he thinks on page 191 in our copy how then was it possible to make plans for the revival of the factory how could one think of that now, when people were condemned to famine rations, and some were so weak that they could not stand the strain of a working day? He's not even entirely certain they've got people to man the factory, and he's and he, he knows about that, but that doesn't entirely stop him. <laughs> he really is the prototypical Soviet hero. But it's interesting that that is kind of subverted throughout the book in so many ways. First of all, he, he's very deeply sexist and very got traditional masculinity on his mind something that he's called out for by his wife quite a lot um and and almost well no not never in, in every case even though in most other circumstances he's portrayed as being the, the level-headed one that everyone else should listen to um in any case when dasha gets on his case about his sexism she's always the the text always frames her as correct giving her the last word every time which is, is fascinating and towards the end uh his wife leaving him and him feeling bad about that up to the very moment when he has to give a speech about how things are going great but inside he's he's kind of falling apart that's so that's not what you'd expect and that's certainly an element which you lose i would imagine in in later later socialist realism once it becomes a canon rather than just you know, something that, that was written and is uh, ascribed to being a socialist realist text.
1: Yeah, I haven't read a lot of the uh, later editions, but I, yeah, I also have a sneaking suspicion that there's not this kind of ambiguous ending. <laughs> in many ways, this is kind of a grim ending.
0: Um, yeah. This is not, it's not, it's not entirely positive on, 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 on obviously it's a pro-Bolshevik book. and in, in many ways, it's even a pro-Menshevik book more than it is a Bolshevik book. Uh, which is also very changed in later editions. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just really interesting. And so I, in many ways, I think Gleb is the least interesting character in relation to Dasha, Makova, and uh, Sergei. But I don't think the book could have been any... He it, it kind of had to have him as a baseline. The others are interesting in relation to him as uh, as kind of like this unquestioning hero of the Bolshevik party. Um, so I, I think... I I, I, lo- I kind of love Gleb, even though he's by far, in my mind, not the real hero of the book. <laughs> not the real protagonist, really.
1: Yeah, he's 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 interesting. He's like exactly what you like you said, he's exactly what you expect when you go into this book. Uh but I think that's why I like the book because it gives you this glimpse into the lives of other people that end up being far more interesting than he is. Uh he's yeah. Yeah I, I personally yeah. don't find him as interesting the the narrator can be interesting at times whether the the narrator is always Gleb I don't know y- usually right but not oh so, sometimes there's a striking level of depth of uh analysis that I wouldn't ascribe to Gleb being able to do sometimes I think that's maybe
0: not directly but kind of indirectly written from Sergei's perspective because like I yeah. said Sergey is is a Menshevik or he was a Menshevik which is again the party that trotsky was associated with and i think maybe relevant to this example trotsky very much trotsky has a lot of ideas and i'm going to be careful here because the last time we talked about bolshevik politics uh, someone i knew who actually knows a lot about uh, socialist politics got on me some from some of my statements um <laughs> trotsky very much believe in the worldwide revolution of communism it, it, like not just stopping at the the Russian state but looking out outward not that everything he did was towards that but that was the basic idea and that's the basic conflict he has with Stalin that's why he becomes a kind of an opposition leader to Stalin where Stalin kind of towards the end of his life this is a little bit Lenin too but this is primarily Stalin begins to focus on not socialism in the world but socialism in the USSR defending against enemies abroad enemies within that becomes a primary feature of that but whereas trotsky is always kind of looking outward and always has a, a much more intellectualist kind of perspective on him which what sergey always does and i think in many ways sergey is kind of posed to be right he's a lot more empathetic than a lot of the other characters and a lot more understanding and a lot more tragic i mean he's got to turn his father out of his house he's got to he's he captures his brother who's executed and he feels bad about all that and his Father and his brother feel an acute sense of irony in that and kind of joke with him about it and refuse to give him any succor, uh, succor, succor, succor. I don't know how to say that word in <laughs> regards to his desire for, you know, father, come live with me. You don't have to be exiled. And his father says, nah, I don't want to stay here. Um, and he actually says to him, look, little Sergey, how history is never new. I am a certain blind old man, Oedipus, and this is my daughter, Antigone. Uh, Antigone is a reference to Verotchka, the the librarian. Um, they've got this like acute sense of irony. He's the most lit- Sergei is the most literary character in a way, the most tragic. Um and he, I would say in, in like the same way that Mahovah is posed as right, but early. like they're 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 the ones who are the thinkers and in, in like in many ways. I think we're supposed to sympathize with them, but sympathizing in a way that's like, well, they're naive. It, it sucks. They're tragic. They're tragic because they're early. Uh, our era is an era of, of dasha, uh, of people who are not as well-read, but are learning and are heart of will. Our era is an era of badin, a person who, who may be just absolutely the worst, but who knows how to get things done. That's what we need right now. We don't need high-minded dreamers. We need badin which is a really grim proclamation and it's almost i find it so fascinating that the book that's kind of the perspective on the book it's not it it is a very clear-eyed book in that regard it's it's not uncomplicated it's kind of it it has like a clear perspective on how what like kind of what the right thing is but it's also not like well we're not going to hide that i think the right thing is kind of shitty in many ways they talk about how Sergey and Gleb often talk about how their sins, the sins of their era will hopefully be washed away by a future era, which which is better, and they will look back upon us and forgive our sins because of what we built. Um, but they do regard them as sins, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of looking back at it right now because for me the most interesting part on the reread was kind of going back through the uh, the trials and the interrogation. And I do think that it is a narrator, but it almost certainly has to be from Sergey's point of view because it's so out of left field compared to how everyone else talks and thinks he, <laughs> he, he's thinking on like, well, the narrator presumably from Sergei's point of view is reflecting on you know, the nature of the interrogation. And he comes out with this, this beautiful quote, do questions ever reveal the soul of man? Are answers to them ever convincing or true? There are no right questions and no true answers. Truth is that which questions do not invoke. And it cuts right across all answers having its own direction. Which, again, <laughs> I like very high-minded compared uh, to <laughs> the rest of the book. But it's also a really interesting condemnation on the paranoia and uh, the, the purges more generally. Uh, just the fact that they're really, they already know what they're looking for. I mean, he's cast out of the party for something, for for being a Menshevik. But like, he was associated with the Mensheviks, I think. Like really early on the the things that he' was really accused of doing I mean pretty minuscule i I would say yeah um they're really they already know what they're searching for when they're coming out with these questions, essentially, and regardless of t- to your point, um Sergey is not unpopular i mean he's he's
0: ejected from the party for affecting party morale, but undoubtedly his ejection hurt party morale way more than his involvement <laughs> ever did. Uh, which the text is does not exactly say but everything about the way the text is written kind of implies that i mean like the most ambiguously it it most ambiguously supports dasha of anyone and dasha goes out of her way to help sergey get the report first of all but also try to appeal it for him even before he he says anything about it
1: i think that sergey's also uh yeah i i don't know exactly what to make of it but i would agree with where you're heading probably i think that He's kind of, kind of linked to it at the end of the book when he finds the the dead baby, which is cool. I thought that's the elephant in the room we were going to talk about, because that was super jarring way to kind of uh, put towards the last like three pages of your book. Just the idea that the, the world is completely upside down and the natural order being completely disrupted, and he's kind of the only one that seems to see that, I think. I mean, Dasha does, of course. Dasha has some... Some things that she does and says that are like not really quite in character necessarily. Um, I, I know we we're talking about Nurka a little bit, and I guess we can compare and contrast these two because, yeah, um, Gladkov gives us a, an ample amount of dead children to compare and contrast, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but there's this quote Dasha knew better than all the doctors in the world why Nurka was fading out like a little star at dawn. It is not only the mother's milk which a child needs, it is nourished also by the heart and the tenderness of its mother and it's kind of a surprising t- twist and turn towards the end um but i think she, she's kind of portrayed positively for being able to overcome that kind of cycle hmm. i talked about it a little bit when we did the Kalantai episode which if you're interested in where i'm heading with it you should check out that episode because i talked about uh eric Naiman's book sex in public which is super interesting fascinating read on specifically this issue and how you know part of soviet the the incarnation of soviet ideology was in effect to sort of transcend these sort of natural cycles uh, specifically childbirth right which is something that that's not hmm,
0: i don't know exactly how to phrase this but it's portrayed positively but it's also not portrayed as the only way maybe Mm -hmm. um we have for example the contrast of of motia against him who by the end of the book is is kind of that sort of stands in for that sort of traditional motherhood and that by the end of the book she's very pregnant about to give birth again and uh she and even though savchuk has been i think savchuk is also ejected from the party they're still they've got their family and she's like that's all i need my family and i don't think she's portrayed badly for for wanting that Mm -hmm. and like it's like there's two different i mean she's kind of she's not portrayed as positively as as dasha as like this force of of change but she just exists as as what as what they are and it doesn't feel like a condemnation it just feels like an existence and it's interesting that you kind of have that not even a contrast just different forms of existence in relation to motherhood in in, in a society which is so dominantly patriarchal uh the like just Kind of an acceptance of different forms of relationship to this this idea of motherhood, which has been so important in the society up to this point. I, I think that's something to keep in mind, something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly. I think, I think the book really ultimately does kind of side with, with Dasha, of course. Um yeah, three oh eight, she says, "Love will always be love, Gleb, but it requires a new form," which is really layered in the cullentai debate of that time again which is fascinating which is it's just one of the reasons why i love this period there's literally so much to get into yeah <laughs> there's so many like just weird and strange things <laughs> happening in politics at this time
0: it's like they're in what is to be done by Chernyshevsky. not a good book really interesting sorry yeah the party line now of the this of the cement committee is is that what is to be done is maybe even the best book um (laughs) it does suggest a lot of alternative forms of relationships of both in the workplace and personal relationships where even though i forget the main character's names uh the two of them are sort of a couple they they don't have any sort of sexual relationship they sleep in different rooms it's very different from from traditional relationships of this era um and that's something that it, when we're when we're getting to cement and love of worker bees, that's not just a theorization in a book or something that's kind of done by certain radical groups. That's something that in that they're trying to normalize in society. People are grappling with not just as a as a concept, but maybe as a widespread. Not that it would end up becoming that traditional values become strongly reasserted in the Stalinist era, but would become a much more widespread sort of conversation at this time. I mean, this very con like this this kind of. Uh, conversation in a modern book would be i think would probably get some people's hackles up that would get if that if it was a popular book which had this sort of discussion you i'm sure you would hear it on the news because someone would be protesting it
1: (laughs) yeah the other thing i was kind of looking at for the nep period new economic policy period was also from eric namen's book and there are also definitely other people working on this but he was the book i happened to read while i was taking class on this uh on cement so hey gets to mention again uh the idea of the soviet gothic um about a lot of elements of gothic literature starting to seep into the new economic policy period basically the <laughs> actually the the pure socialist dream being haunted by the reoccurrence of the kind of capitalist remnants uh, is something that kind of starts to permeate the second half of the book. Uh, there's the the part where somebody kind of vandalizes this poster that says he who does not work shall not eat and they they vandalize it so it says he who does work shall not eat. And just kind of the the commentary it's kind of broad in general I guess for the net period but uh, on just the just the, the 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 way and the the vigor with which some people were really working towards establishing this versus uh those who just kind of want to sit in a cafe and that's you know kind of it there there's a real i think kind of a a willingness to engage with both sides of that i mean personally not really a nep fan but
0: hey. <laughs> you heard your first verse this is not a pro nep podcast not a pro nep podcast you're gonna have to go down <laughs> the street for that buddy <laughs> Yeah, Matt, when we were playing a board game, I think Matt was winning and he did refer to himself as a NEP man through that entire process, which is a little weird, but, um, you know, you do you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know, that's another interesting thing that Mikova, ejected from the party, is sent to a sanitarium on a like pretty steep downfall from the head of the women's uh, section. She's the only one who is unambiguously against the NEP and she's not, she's portrayed as, as with negative characteristics for a lot of things, this is not one of them. She is ultimately, even by the ones who purge her from the party, say, yeah, you're kind of correct. This isn't really what we're going for, but, you know, you're too naive. You're too young. You don't understand the practical concessions we have to make, which is kind of the difference between Makova and Dasha. Dasha, I think, does have some of the same tendencies, but she does not speak out against the NEP um, because she she's practical. Uh, I mean, uh, Badin tried to sexually assault her but she's practical. badin is useful uh, and so she's not going to throw away a useful person. Um and you could look at that as like that's a that's pretty cold logic but you can't argue that Dasha doesn't get things done. She's maybe next to badin the most effective at getting things done in this book. Um and they're portrayed as their characterization is these are the people we need right now they're not people we need in the long run but you know makova you were born too early sorry sergey you were born too early
1: yeah it's it's an interesting kind of conclusion and that's why i like this book so much i think it's a little bit more ambiguous than people tend to give it credit for oh yeah
0: so much more i mean ambiguous enough that um it it had to be revised 40 times to remove (laughs) Later on, Sergey references to Sergey being a Menshevik are removed. This is after uh, Tolstoy. Uh, well, yes,
1: after Tolstoy famously takes control of the Soviet <laughs> Union. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> after after Trotsky is ejected from
0: the party, the fact that Sergey is kind of portrayed as like right, but he's gonna be right in like twenty years. Is obviously scrubbed from the novel. <laughs> um, I think I, I th- there's an essay in the back of this book. I think I think I put this in the show notes of the, the last of my episode, but it's it's by Edward uh, Vavra, and I'll put it again. Um, he 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 notes he he writes. Oh, what was it? Gladkov wanted a place in literature, not in Siberia. So <laughs> <laughs> so many things like Sergey is no longer a Menshevik. He's now just kind of an idealist. Um, the, the, the baby who's dead in the beach we mentioned before, it's wearing a red, um, it's wearing a red kind of headscarf, which is kind of, at least Vavra suggests that's suggesting the death of an innocent form of communism because, um, the headscarves are, are, are only represented by women throughout the book. And although Dasha kind of has, it's most associated with, with, with Mehova, who at this point has been driven out of the party and sent to a sanitarium. So it's kind of suggesting the death of that sort of idealistic communism, in place of a more practical communism which incorporates some elements of capitalism in this particular case where people like badin of course in later episode and then later things that was changed to a white scarf on the head of the baby which is now an incoherent thematic thing but a lot of things like those were the things that were changed over the coming years that took out a lot i mean dasha's agency and her sexuality is taken out I don't know any specific references to Gleb's um, uncertainties about it are taken out, but I'm sure some of the ones, some of them are taken out, especially because they kind of the end of the book is largely about Gleb realizing that when Dasha joked about sleeping with Badin, she was not in fact kidding. So yeah, just a lot of what makes this an interesting novel is was largely removed over time, which I mean, I guess says something about kind of the the. The ideas that this book does have put forth it kind of reminds me of um, this line from from Europe Central uh, by by William Bolman, which I'm only thinking of because I'm reading another book by by um, William Bolman. Um, <clears throat> in those days, we believed in books enough to burn them. Imagine, <laughs> so imagine believing in a book enough that you have to censor it over the course of forty years because it has that much dang power. But uh, you know, uh, need to change the really radical elements of it.
1: Imagine, indeed.
0: Imagine i could yeah not. even it, it even sorry i'm going back to the fact of michova again because it's such an interesting character even when she says something uh, says something about it the the uh, the officers who are purging the members they this is it really is like a, there's a very thin barrier between this book and reality um they reference specifically like oh you're the kind of you're the kind of left-wing communist who lenin is against and of course one of lenin's I mean, lenin has many famous publications but one of them is um perhaps the most amusingly titled one yes left-wing communism an infantile disorder an absolute clap (laughs) good just to go to also like not something you typically for if you don't know that much about soviet politics not something you'd associate with with lenin him calling left-wing politics a just infantile disorder (laughs) but you know different different overton window for that but um yeah just i I don't know is there anything else you you really kind of was in your mind as you're approaching this
1: i think that was kind of a cursory overview of my thoughts i really do feel like i could talk about this like i feel like we i could have done like a four-part series on this even <laughs> i just i feel like well our viewers would hate us but i could have done it
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll come back if we ever have a, a slum month we'll be come back coming back with a cement part three and part four
1: <laughs> just me thinking about it
0: <laughs> just just we just turn on our mics and just record for an hour, see what comes out, release it unedited.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we no no one wants that. Least of all you and I.
1: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um yeah, I if you've not read Cement, this is our official recommendation that you do in fact read Cement if you're interested in early Soviet politics. Uh, I will say that with the with the caveat that it's okay to skim. Yeah, um, if you get into like a big section where he's just describing the sea, you can just skim on over that. <laughs> Does not matter. <laughs> Honestly, I, for a lot of this book, I was just like really like read the first and last sentence of a paragraph until I saw people talking, and then I'd like tune back in because if it's not if it's not a discussion, it's really not that important.
1: Hey, respect, Fyodor. <laughs> Fyodor. No,
0: I I like I think Fyodor was a really fascinating. Yeah, person yeah. to write like this is this is like a, a massive improvement on what is to be done by Chernyshevsky Chernyshevsky was trying to write a novel where he was like kind of trying to put some ideas forth and it really wasn't that good Gladkov is like the next step up he's he's not the best writer yeah, obviously better is, than me I'm, I'm not a good writer but he with much more skill created characters in a setting yeah so he's not the best prose writer but he is a great character and uh, writer and a very good integrating extant in politics into his work
1: yeah i did feel that while i was reading this it's essentially it, he created a similar kind of feel to what is to be done and that it's really a novel of ideas but it's also a readable novel whereas what is to be done is not readable nor would i recommend it to anybody ever
0: <laughs> except for specifically the scenes with um uh what's what's his name
1: rakhmetov yeah
0: <laughs> except for that you should all read Rachmatov's scene I would I would film an adaptation of what is to be done that's just Rachmatov.
1: I was thinking the other day like what if I did what if I quit the podcast and I just became like uh, a fitness buff but I based it all <laughs> on his workout and I called <laughs> the workout guide like what is to be done <laughs> get ripped in like six weeks and then I sold like a million copies and then I vanished from the face <laughs> of the earth that's a good idea. Okay. But alternatively, what if we quit the
0: podcast and became young adult authors and instead wrote Russian classics, but from the perspective of other characters? Like, <laughs> uh, what is to be done, but only from the perspective of Rakhotov or Cement, but only from the perspective of um, Mikova and Sergei?
1: <laughs> that is, I think you ventured into an even more niche audience. <laughs> than we currently have what are you talking
0: everyone wants a book about about cement but just from the perspective of the other point of view characters
1: i can hardly convince anybody to read cement normally <laughs> oh, yeah, valid point all right this is gonna be one of our
0: longest episodes ever and it's about cement of all books that's right baby
1: get on that bandwagon <laughs> i'm gonna make merch for it <laughs> I'm sure Glidecub would love that. It's going to be a gray shirt and it's going to cost like $60. <laughs> That's it.
0: All right, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it's, just, it's my nep shirt. It just says cement in like the like, v- like faux Cyrillic font. <laughs> <on> oh. <it. laughs>
1: oh, I'd have to exile myself if I put something like that out <laughs> on the internet.
0: Actually, the, the funny thing about cement is it's... If you put it in Cyrillic, even if it was Cyrillic, it's almost entirely readable, both to people of yeah, who read Cyrillic yeah. and and the Latin alphabet.
1: So could work. Oh, you see, I'm sure somebody would fan if I did really mess it up. All right, <laughs> yeah, fair point. All right, well, we've we've gone long enough on our schemes. So before we totally wrap up, on the scale from one to Yeltsin, how drunk are you?
0: Okay, so I, I admittedly have only had just one normal sized eight percent beer but I would say I am high on the exhilaration of having a, a, a yes. Baltica 9 again after, th- I, not since 2018. So I'm giving myself a full, no, I'm, I've given myself an 11. I'm giving myself a 20. I'm, wow. I'm way, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm high on the existence, on just remembering the many, many things that, that Baltica 9 is associated <laughs> with. So uh, realistically a three, but other than that, i'd call that a yeltsin full yeltsin yeah yeah beyond the beyond yeltsin could never i don't (laughs) think yeltsin ever had access to baltica so this is nothing yeltsin could have have ever achieved
1: and he also didn't have access to baltica and then being cut off from baltica for three years and then getting a baltica so yes
0: exactly yeltsin did not have access to total wine so that's that's a big big l for yeltsin that's true uh <laughs> what about you where are you at
1: uh i'm probably like three or four because i was thinking more than i was drinking but yeah that's that's fair i'm having a good time that counts <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're having a great time we're having a great time talking about early soviet lit that's right which is our our favorite part of the podcast which is no one else's favorite part of the podcast no, but
1: no. i'm just what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna title all of the episodes anna karenina for seo <laughs> and then i'm going to actually put the real title in the description <laughs>
0: just imagine the absolute disappointment of a click on anna karenina part 13 and then it just opens us and opens up and we're talking about quiet flows the dawn
1: (laughs) i already get people mad that think we're an audiobook and then they're like i listened to like several minutes of this incessant chit chat like first of all if you didn't realize that we were not an audiobook within the first 10 seconds shame on you uh you know yeah well anyways
0: (laughs) we're only a three but there's so much more banter than there normally is even when we're much drunker
1: (laughs) power cement (laughs) true uh i'm i'm dying to know cameron what are we reading next episode
0: well matt next week we will be reading father sergius by leo tolstoy that's right we're going back to tolstoy uh, and we're going to be learning a little bit about
1: life of a saint although not quite in the way you would expect Before we let you go, we want to extend a sincere thank you to all of our current patrons. We've got Drew, Jeff, Janice, Anne, Jesse, Madeline, Alex, Daniel, Irini, Paige, Darren, Larkin, Lou, Brandon, Allison, Gary, Cole, Daniel, Jack, Lucy, Alex, and Roland. Podcasting isn't free, and grad school doesn't pay very well, so if you're interested in joining with our current patrons to keep the show running, take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy. The music used in this episode was Soviet March by Toasted Tomatoes.
0: You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcamp.com and also on YouTube under the same username. If you're looking for other places to find us, you can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast or join our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com.
1: You'll hear from us again soon.